We're finishing up this Sunday with uh, the series that we've started, uh, the Abraham Epic. And I don't know about you, but just hearing the story of Abraham, just different uh, episodes and scenes in Abraham has been a blessing to me. It's really challenged me in my own life when I think about my own story and God's story, my story within God's story. Uh, so, you know, one of the things we've talked about uh, is the, two past, the past two Sundays, we've talked about how... Uh, using the hero's journey, this idea of the transformation of a person, of a hero in an epic story, borrowing from the scholar Joseph Campbell, how the story always ta- starts out, the hero's journey always starts out with a call to adventure. This call, this invitation to leave the familiar and to journey into the unfamiliar. And we talked about how Abraham, God, El Shaddai, God Almighty, Elohim had called Abraham out of his familiar, out of his his family, out of familiar territory, and called him into adventure, into unfamiliar territory. Then that next Sunday, we talked about the test and how God put Abraham to the test, to test his faith, and how he told Abraham, he had promised Abraham early on that he would give him seed that would be a blessing to the nations, that he would have children, that he would have a son. In spite of the evidence that he couldn't have children, he was old, his wife was barren, and so God does the impossible and he has a son named Isaac. So Isaac becomes uh, 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 the future. And then God tells him to take Isaac to the Mount Moriah, to the place in the Hebrew, to the place where God teaches and tells him to kill Isaac. And we talked about how there was a conflict there. There was a crisis. And we also talked about how, and we talked about little Chinese, right? Wei Ji in the, in the Chinese, which means crisis. And for the Chinese to say crisis was a, a, a moment of crisis that also possibly presented a moment of opportunity. So though, although God tells Abraham that he will have a future, that he will have children, that he will have a son, God paradoxically says, now kill the future. We're talking about how tests, what tests do is test the faith that God has already deposited into our soul. And how faith is that part of us that has been given birth to by the future. Faith is that part of us where the future resides. So Abraham, God was testing Abraham's faith. Man, are you really in this or is this for self? Is this for your legacy, for your heritage? And so to this, this week, we're going to talk about the part of the hero's journey called the return. The return. First, there's the call to adventure. Then there's the test. Now we're going to talk about the return. Now, here's the thing about the return in the story. The return, uh, this is once the hero's transformation is complete, he or she returns to the ordinary world with the prize, a great treasure or a new understanding to share. This can be love, wisdom, freedom, or knowledge. The return. Turn with me to Genesis 17. I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. When Abraham was 99 years old, 
I'll give you time to get there if you have your Bibles open. Uh, Genesis 17, 1 through 8. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. I love the Hebrew, right? Ibrahim. Sounds really cool. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien will give I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. See, what we see in this particular passage is a return. Abraham, this is the beginning of the return. We're actually, last week we talked about somewhat toward the end of his story, but now we're kind of rewinding in Genesis 17. Last week we were in Genesis 22. This week, we're kind of rewinding back to a moment when Abraham encounters the future. <laughs> God kind of casts this vision of what God is intending to do. He gives this vision of what God has in mind uh, for Abraham. And so Abraham is in this part of the story. When he leaves this scene, he returns from God's promised future. Now, here's the thing about the return for the hero. When the hero's been called to adventure, been invited, then they go to tests where they've been tested, their faith is being tested so they can be emptied of self-interest, complete selfishness and self-deceit, and then they enter into a phase when they have encountered the future, and then they return back with some gift to bring to others. Think about the movies. Anybody seen Batman, the new Batman series? Anybody watch any of those? Good, man. I'm trying to think of a Medea. I'm trying to think. Tyler Perry. I don't think the hero's journey is in there somewhere. It might be. Medea do go through some tests, right? She get arrested, get chased by police, and uh, family members tripping out, whatever. <laughs> man. I'm going to start taking get some of y'all to the movies with me, man. We need to start moving night back up. But the hero goes through some tests, and they learn something. And they encounter the, the future. They, they, they encounter something when they come to the test, and they get a taste of God's future, and then they come back to the ordinary world with some gift, some knowledge, some understanding better of who they are and the world around them. So Abraham, in this part of our story, Abraham returns from God's promised future. Abraham meets his future. 
What does Abraham return with? Abraham returns with why and belief. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about why and belief this morning. When we return, when God gives us this sort of glimpse, this, this image, this picture, this, this uh, 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 taste of what God is wanting to do in our lives, we come back to the ordinary world with all our friends and our community with a different understanding. We come back with something. Abraham leaves this particular scene with a sense of why and a deeper sense of belief. Whenever I think about future stuff, when I think about vision, when I think about the why and the belief, there's always this, uh, this quote that I love. It's kind of like one of my own, part of my own personal manifesto. But it's a quote that's used by many people all over the world. And it's by this, uh, this scholar named Anthony Day. And the fact that he's Anthony doesn't, you know, doesn't, it's not biased on my part. But there's a French writer named Anthony Day St. Exupery. And he says this, if you want to build a ship, got it. don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. What is God doing with Abraham? What does he return with? Now, last week, we talked about how, you know, I told you that we, you know, I learned Mandarin Chinese for last week's sermon. Uh, this week, I learned a little French. And there's a phrase in French, let me put that up there for me. Raison de arche. That sounds cool, don't it? <laughs> I listened to the pronunciation like several hundred times, right? Make sure it's out. Any French-speaking people here? Any? Did I say it right? I didn't? How are you supposed to say it? They try. Oh, okay. There you go. Thank you. I must listen to the wrong people. Man. Thank you. But it's a powerful phrase. When Abraham meets the future, he returns with a reason for existing, a reason for being. <laughs> he has a reason for existing, a reason for continuing the journey for being. His life becomes a response to the future. His life becomes an echo in the presence, an echo of the future in his present moment. What is Abraham's mandate? His North Star, his compass, that French word. immense sea. What is Abraham's immense sea? See, 
when you get a taste of God's future, when God reveals to you and you hear the promise of God, what begins to happen is something begins to emerge, a mandate, a mission begins to emerge. Let's look at the text real quick now. Now, this thing is interesting because uh, there's a lot happening in this particular text. We can go back to that verse again. When Abraham was 99 years old, and this is one of the things I love about the Bible, and, you know, lately I've been getting into some debates with people that hold the Bible, you know, really skeptical of the Scriptures and all that, and I totally get all that. But one of the things about, and they're all trying to compare it to other ancient myths in the ancient world with great heroes in the past from Africa, from Mediterranean, Mesopotamia culture. But one of the things that's glaringly obvious about the biblical heroes is that they don't start off being big and bad. They're very frail and weak. This is what's thing with biblical stories from other ancient stories of the time. Abraham is weak. And the elder, he's lived, he's 99 years old. He can't have children. So he doesn't come down, he doesn't jump out of the Euphrates, he does not jump out the Nile as a big hero God. He doesn't come down from Mount Olympus and saying, I am here to have children amongst you mortals. And this is one of my apologetics to people that, have, that try to quickly just completely say the Bible just completely stole from other cultures. And there's some truth to that. But it emerged from within those cultures. But the heroes are fallible, broken, powerless to do anything. So Abraham is 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now this is interesting because he says God Almighty. And y'all, you know, y'all know the gospel song, you know, El Shaddai. Right? And this is the word that he used for God. There's this vision of God being El Shaddai. And this is a very powerful vision of who God is. And, you know, as a, as a theological aside, those of you who are theology nerds, one of the things that distinguishes the God, the Bible, from other, uh, other visions of what God is, the, in the Hebrew scriptures, God is always identified with how God acts in history. Hmm. So God doesn't have a random name like Billy Bob or Joe. God's name in Scripture in the Hebrew and Christian Scriptures is always identified with the way that God shows up in history. <laughs> so there's not some random name they give him. Man, that'd be really cool if we gave him his name. John. Bob. I cannot. <laughs> but El Shaddai, and the word El Shaddai literally means, if I was to translate it in a more contemporary English, it is a vision of God, of God being able to start, stop, and complete the process of creation, to bring creation to its fullest potential. The God that makes the future happen. The God that blesses the many-breasted one. 
The God that makes life to continue, to nurture and sustain the future, for the God of, to make possibilities happen, to nurture and sustain, to give life, El Shaddai. If I was to put a reference in the Urban Dictionary, El Shaddai means God make it happen. <laughs> the God that makes it happen. El Shaddai. And notice what, so, so Abraham encounters this God. Abraham encounters El Shaddai. The God that makes it happen. And what happens to Abraham when God does this? He changes his name. God's future, God's promise will change your name. There once was a man named Abraham whose name was changed by his future because El Shaddai makes it happen. Amen. So he changes his name from Abram to Abraham because of the future that Abraham has greeted, that he has met. Now here's the thing about that. And I don't know about you, one of my uh, favorite uh, psychologists, he's no longer alive, um, but you probably heard of him. His name is uh, Abraham Maslow. And he had this, 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 uh, he had this idea called the hierarchy of needs, right? And I wish I had an image of it. I don't have an image of it. But if you can imagine like a pyramid or a triangle like this, like a pyramid, and at the bottom of the triangle is what you need to survive just physically, food, shelter, clothing, right? And then as you move up this hierarchy of need, uh, you begin to, uh, you need uh, love, belonging, affirmation. You need people to love on you. You need that connection to other people. And at the top of the pyramid is called self-actualization. When you begin to operate not just on just survival mode, like a lot of people do, but you begin to operate out of something bigger than just survival. And so this is what's happening to Abraham right now. He is, yes, he is a shepherd herd. He is a businessman. He's been blessed. And so he has his needs met, his physical needs but he's at a stage in his journey where there's something more that God is calling him to. And so un unlike, you know, Abraham, many of us, when we think about this story, how many of you know people that are like Abraham in this passage? He says this, he says um, uh, uh, in verse 8, and we go back to verse 8 there, he says, uh, God tells him that the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you. Notice, the whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien. So God gives him this, this, this picture of the future where he is to inherit Canaan. But God is saying to Abraham in this particular moment, he says, he says I'm going to give you this. I know that you're alien to it now. You're not at home yet into the future, but this is the place where I am taking you. How many of you know people 
that are strangers to their own future. You might be saying, well, I, I don't know a whole lot of people, but I think I might be. When we return from the future like Abraham does in this particular passage, we are now at home and acquainted with that which God has promised us. And we're no longer aliens and strangers. But sadly, many people in our culture are, are strangers to their own future that God would have them possess. Sadly, many people, as, as a, a, a preacher, a pastor, he's, Bless his uh, soul, he passed away several, a little while ago, uh, Dr. Miles Monroe out of Bahamas. He talked about how the graveyard, the cemetery is filled with full people. That many people die not leaving empty. So the sad, tragic truth is that many people will die unacquainted with the future. Will you be one? Matter of fact, many people will die unacquainted with the future, but guess what? Many people will live their lives at home with other people's story of them. It is possible to live this human journey where the future that God intends for you to be an alien to that, but be at home to other people's expectations and story of who they think you are. But when you begin to meet God's future, you begin to see the distinction between what God intends for you and what other people have said, their expectations and their story of who they think you should be. It then becomes a choice. What will it be? Their story or God's story? And see, courage, true courage is the, is the ability to decide that I'm going to live God's story versus what other people have said. This is true courage. And God... And one of the things that God does, and I love God, one of the ways that God gives us courage, by God gives a word of promise. The Bible says the word of the Lord is, is living, it's active. It's something about God's word that is creative. It produces, it redeems, it liberates, it, it rescues, it, it awakens, it causes life to happen. So one of the ways that God... Uh, uh, causes us to give us courage to walk into what God intends for our lives is this. He promises. He makes a promise. And back to our passage where he says, God tells Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you, man. I'm going to, I'm showing you the future. I've shown you where uh, this is going. I've shown you where this story is headed. But I'm going to promise you, and also, I'm going to make covenant with you. And we've talked about this before in Mission House, before in Bible Lab. I'm not sure if we talked about this on a Sunday morning. But when God makes covenant with you, this is serious business. Unfortunately, we live in Western, Western culture where we don't understand covenant too well. We understand contract more than we understand covenant. 
In the Eastern culture, in the, in the ancient world, when you made covenant with somebody, oftentimes you did what? You sacrificed to what? An animal, right? There was a spilling of blood. And so what that represent was when two parties came together and they sacrificed to seal the covenant, to confirm the covenant, what they were saying is they all made promises to each other. God says to Abraham, I will make your name great. I will give you uh, seeds. I will bless you. The nations, what is he promising? Look at this. This is crazy. God says, I will do this. I will confirm my covenant. You will be the father of many nations. He changes his name. No longer will you be called Abram, which means exalted father. Your name will now be Abraham, which means father of many nations. So one of the promises that God makes to Abram or Abraham now is that he will be a father to many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations out of you and kings will come from you. This is serious. Abraham is 99 years old. He's probably like saying, say what? But in the ancient world, when you made covenant, you were saying you sealed the covenant with blood. Why? Because you had made promises that what your party is going to do. God is saying, I am going to do this. And, and, and covenant was so serious. When you killed the animal and you spilled the blood, you were saying that if I break the promise, what happened to that animal will happen to me. God would say, Abraham, if I don't do this, I will cease to exist. <laughs> if I don't bring the future about, if kings don't come from you, if I don't bless and make your name great, if I don't make your name great, if I don't make you Abraham like I promised, what happened to these animals will happen to me, God is saying. I will self-annihilate. What would the cosmos look like if God self-annihilated? What would the universe look like if God self-annihilated? That wouldn't even be nothing. I know that's, that's a philosophical tongue twister there. There wouldn't even be non-existence. Because God even created non-existence. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say there would be nothing. There wouldn't even be nothing. <laughs> so you kind of see how serious covenant is with God. God is saying, if I don't fulfill my word, then I will cease to be God. And we know that God can't cease to be God. I got to keep on being God. So God is very serious here. God is like, Abraham, man, I'm about to bless you, man. I am about to do this. And if I don't, what happened to those animals that we just cut up? It's going to happen to me. So what does God do? God realizes that, you know, God's good, right? God is not going to stop being God. Now, the tricky part is the other party. It's us. Right? There's moments when we rise to the occasion. And there's moments like we were in that old, you remember the old uh, the, uh, the Saturday sports show? I'm dating myself now. 
back in the 70s, 80s, and they said the agony of defeat. And the skier comes down that big old slope and they fall off and flip into the snow and all that. Y'all remember that? I'm sorry, young people. Like, we had those moments, right? I had several of those last week. I had some yesterday. <laughs> I had an agony of defeat yesterday, if you're honest. And so God is like, man, what am I going to do? I'm going to be God. God's like, I keep it 100. <laughs> but I got to deal with these humans. So what I will do is this. I will speak a word of promise into their soul. Mm. See, when God speaks to you, when God reveals to you future, when God speaks promise to you, what it begins to do, it begins a subtle form of transformation in your own heart. Literally, the promise of God will predispose you to the future. Mm. <laughs> the promise of God will make you susceptible to the future. You know, there's certain activities that you do. You know, I've been trying to watch my blood pressure, my cholesterol, and all that, right? There's certain things if I keep eating, right, it's going to make me susceptible to a heart attack. If you keep listening to God's promises, if you begin to meditate and hear God and pay attention to what God is saying to you right now, you become more and more susceptible to the future. Isn't that so? The promise makes you ready for the future. That's why Abraham could go to the mountain later on with his son. He was predisposed, y'all. He was ready to make it happen. He was ready for the name. The promise made him his name. The promise of God gave him a new name. What is your name? <laughs> Have you become an alien to your old name? Or are you at home with it? So Abraham comes back with his, that French word. He comes back with a reason for being, a reason for existing. Why? God desires to bless the nations. I know this is not good in 21st century American free market capitalist culture where we're taught that, you know, it's all about us and our consumer desires and the acquisition of stuff and the promise of the American dream and you know, in the Christian, sometimes Christianity gives us kind of this warmed over uh, spirituality of the American dream. It's just about us as individuals getting mine, getting my toys. He who, went, who, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? That was like this, this mantra in the 80s, right? When during time of uh, economic stability and prosperity for a few people. But not in the story of God. God gives you promise not just for you, but God gives you promise, speaks promise 
so that he can fulfill his promise, which is what? To bless the nations. So when you begin to ask, when you encounter the future, you have encountered the future, or you're about to encounter the future, or you will encounter the future, I want you to ask yourself a question. What is your why? What is your, that French word? Reason for being. Reason for existing. Think about that for a moment. What is your why? Now, the thing is, Abraham came back with his why, because God wanted to bless the nations, right? But also, he came back with belief. And I feel like I have to address this, because I, I, I got into some conversations this past week with people um, about, particularly about belief in God, and it's interesting. I got into some debates with people, and this is good sometimes. You know, you got to test things out. And they didn't realize I was testing my sermon out on, on, on Facebook. But see, it's one thing to believe in God's existence and quite another thing to believe in God. <laughs> yeah, something had to make all this. Yeah, it just didn't get here by accident. Yeah, yeah, I believe God exists. It's one thing to say that and another thing to say, I believe in God. What's the difference? You don't have to know somebody to say, I believe they exist. <laughs> I believe President Barack Obama exists. But guess what? I don't know President Barack Obama. And so we got people in our times in our church and our religious culture, even here in the Bible Belt, where people talk about, I believe God exists. Oh, that's great. And people ask me, how do you know God exists? But see, when you know God, you not understand this. And this, this was my reply to this particular person. I said, God does not exist. God more than exists. Because <laughs> if you know the God that I worship, you understand that this God cannot be reduced to human categories of thought. This God cannot be reduced to a philosophical, mathematical equation. All respect to my Muslim brothers and sisters, I always get it by them, about the Trinity, right? They always say, you know, and then, you know, God, you know, three and one, that's a mathematical impossibility. I said, well, that's the difference between Jesus, the Father, the Son, and Allah, because uh, our God is not subject to math. You want my God to be subject to Descartes, to the Pythagorean theorem to human rules or arithmetic. How can you serve a God? How can you worship a God that's subject to the rules of math? That God no longer becomes bigger than our own thought, bigger than ourselves. You want a God that's able to be solved with a math problem? Come on now. For real? You worship a God that you can solve. I worship a God that made the universe. 
does not submit to my fantasies, who does not submit and obey to my rules of society. God is undomesticatable. God is too wild for that. God is too big. So what is your why? What is your why? What is your why? El Shaddai calls you to why. What is your belief? And the word believe there, and I, what I was, my original thought was to say, uh, when Abraham comes back to believe, it's not that he, oh, I believe that God exists. Okay, that's great. No, he believed in God. He could lean on God. He had found a place, he got to the place where he could trust God. You can't trust somebody you don't know. Ooh. You can't have confidence in somebody that you don't know. And I don't say that to shame anybody. Because there's moments when I don't have confidence in God. That's when I have to go get on my knees and get in my word and say, God, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't understand what you're doing in this season, God. They're talking about me. They turn their backs on me, God. They don't understand what I'm called to do. I just can't be with them and not just be with them. God, have you made a mistake? So rather than ask God to submit to my equation or to my math problem, that what I've learned is that the only way that this begins to give a, a glimmer of understanding is on my knees. You want to understand this God or begin to understand this God? You want to know this God? The first place is on your knees. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it's not fear like, oh my God. No, it's like Fear is, oh my God, this is God. Mysterium Tremens, the awe of God, the realization that you are in the presence of a, of a reality that's way bigger than you can imagine, and you're in the midst of that. That's where it begins. That's where it begins. So, what is your name? What has this God named you? What is God promising you in this season? What is God saying is your why in this season? And we can stop there. We can say, you know, man, it was really a great, inspiring message, Pastor Anthony. You know, hopefully. And if not, you know, I'll go back to the drawing board. It's all good. But see, American Christianity leaves you there. It says, this is how you're going to get blessed. This is how you, you as an individual, are going to get your future. If I stop there, they'll be giving into the principalities and powers to make you think that this is just an individualized private matter between you and Jesus. But God tells Abraham, man, I'm going to, he doesn't say that I'm going to bless you just so that you can be blessed. He tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that others may be blessed. So that leads to a question. I'm going to end with this piece of here, this little last segment here. 
What is our why? And this has been a long time coming. And by our, I specifically mean the unique and specific way that God has called us as a church to demonstrate, to live out this Abrahamic epic in our community. I'm talking about Mission House. Yes, you too, as an individual, don't get me wrong, but we're all here. Mission House. This is the result of paying attention. Brother asked me last night, a brother pastor friend of mine, he says, man, how do people know their name? How do they know their, their French term? How do they know their mission? How do they know their mandate? I said they learn by first by paying attention. A lot of people don't pay attention, y'all. But what begins to happen when the people of God become to come together and they begin to pay attention? Well, you know, some of us, we, by the grace of God, we believe that we've been paying attention. And so we have a mandate ourselves. And I want to share a little bit of that with you. What is our mandate? Our North Star, our reason for existing. How many of y'all notice that on the website? <laughs> it is this, and the Holy Spirit gave us this. This is spirit-led, spirit-given language. I, ain't, I am not pulling anything with you. Like, this is for real spirit-given language here. To mobilize an army of love. For the good of our neighborhoods, cities, and world. This is our why. This is our mandate. This is our mission. But what is our why? Just in case, I want you to meditate on this this week. As those of you who are missioners that are joined in with the mission here. This is a passage this has been a mandate verse for us for a long time. And you'll see it all over the place in different parts of our, of our ministry, literature, social media presence. <clears throat> and we've been very intentional about telling people about this army of love. That just ain't a really cool slogan, a really cool social marketing idea, although it's that too, but. But it's vision. It's who God has called us to be. John 20. Nineteen. And when I read this, I want you to understand that this has been a foundational verse for us as a community from the very beginning. For some of you, this might be new to you, who've been kind of coming around recently. But I want you to understand, this is a key verse for us. And I would invite you to meditate on this yourself in your own time and think about it. It's a very potent verse. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, now Jesus has been crucified, 
Now he's resurrected. They're hiding. So Jesus just shows up. Ta-da! Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord because they'd been with them for three and a half or three years. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father, as the Father has sent me, <laughs> I am sending you. As the Father, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So, so as a community, as, as a pastoral team, as, as those who are engrafted in, as we begin to listen for what God was saying, we just saw this a lot of energy. We saw God, the Holy Spirit, just energizing this verse. And what we drawn from that was three things. Here's our why. There's going to be a homework assignment next week to see if you remember these. <laughs> this is our DNA. When people ask you, who is Mission House? You can say, well, it's more than just singing good songs and good preaching. We actually have a why. Incarnation. Commit this to memory. Get this down in you. Incarnation is an old Christian term, theological term. We are sent into our neighbors, neighborhoods, and cities as Christ was sent into the world. That's huge. Jesus says to the, to the disciples, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So the shape of what we do, the, the impetus, the why of what we do, it has to look like what Jesus would do in the community. That's why we just can't go off the latest fads. Talking about we're building the kingdom and all this stuff. We don't build the kingdom. Jesus never tells us to build the kingdom. He says, see it and walk into it. Participate in it. Join in it. So God gives us DNA. We are to be in our community as was Christ was sent into the community. Second. Mission. We are sent by the Holy Spirit to join in God's renewal of our neighborhoods and city. <laughs> Jesus, I'm sending y'all. The Spirit of God is sending you. Not to sell eternal fire insurance but to invite people into the kingdom of God, to invite people into the renewal and healing of our neighborhoods and city. The Holy Spirit is sending you to invite people to join in God's renewal of the city. <laughs> I know that may sound strange. I mean, it's weird. Like, they don't talk like that in church. Like, well, I mean, that's, that's how Jesus talks. So I don't know what they, they do in other places, so. Jesus says in Revelation, and it's in red, right, the book of Revelation, and Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. Our mission 
It's to join in with God. It's not to have a, great, a good idea where we think God might, man, it'd be really cool if we did that. No, we have to be a discerning people. We have to be a people that are paying attention to what's going on around us because the Spirit will direct us in places that need renewal. And sometimes there are people outside the church, outside the body, they won't understand that because they think with the flesh. They don't understand that. We're directed by the Spirit. They don't want to understand that sometimes. And this is what I got out of that. When you do that, when you are sent by the Holy Spirit in your response, your life, your community, our church, when our movement becomes a response to the Spirit's guidance and direction, guess what else you share in? That's why some people say, man, they, don't, they just can't seem to stop. They can't seem to quit. They just can't, they don't run out of gas. They keep going. Why? What happens when a community shares in God's resolve and commitment to heal? What is that? What, would that, what may that look like to get a taste of God's resolve to heal a community? Third, and this has kind of gotten some trouble with some folks already, uh, reconciliation. We seek to be agents of peace in the midst of a long history of division and disunity. Not just racially, not just, uh, but also socially, culturally, and otherwise. Humans have this propensity to do damage to each other. We tend to sin against each other. That's why you've been, you know, you're being tempted by the world when the world says, you need to get back. You need to get at them. We need to attack them the way they've attacked us. And they don't realize how they've been shaped and warped by the systems of this world. And for some others, mm, those who have been shaped and influenced more by the world, they see this as weakness. But what they don't realize is, is that their souls have been shaped and morphed and warped more by the systems of the world than by God. Because God wants to do what? Bring life, healing, wholeness, integration, peace into the community. So we're called to do that. So God desires the good to burst forth in our city. What is the good? Good is that which God intends, what God wants to do. What does God want to do? God wants to bring life. God intends the, the good to burst forth in our community. The good. That sounds generic, yes. But what is God's goodness? Life, freedom, liberation, wholeness, salvation, rescue. Purpose, future, healing. God desires the good to burst forth in our world. So how is this supposed to go down? It's four ways initially here. This is what we have so far. And this is why you're so important. Many of you are so important to this. There's four ways that God has revealed to us that we're supposed to do this so far. Four ways. How do we do this? How do we live into the future? One is church at Eisenberg. 
this worship setting. Right? Where we come to encounter God and enjoy each other's gifts. And, do we, and we get to express our own creativity. Right? We get joined. This is where, this is, the, this is one of the connection points. This is, in this place, this is where you get caught up in God's epic drama of healing and renewal of the city. This is where God, you meet God. God shows up here and you just, and you can meet God out here too. Yeah, God can meet home, Starbucks, whatever, right? But collectively as a body, as a people coming together, we get swept up into the epic power and powerful story of God. God's story to heal and renew our city. Together, Church of Eisenberg, our worship, our corporate worship gathering, mission kids, right? Man, we had, when we had our community meal last week, Man, the kids were like, we had more kids than adults at our house. It was crazy. And I don't know about y'all, but here's the thing. Man, Jesus is doing something powerful with mission kids. I've had parents come to me, man, my kids be up, ready to go Sunday morning. Pay attention to that. Jesus is doing something with that. Right? You know? I hope that we're become and we are the kind of church that everything don't come from up here. Everything, not everything, but that Jesus can give direction from there as well. One of the things we talk about in our pastoral team, it's going to be transparent with you. When we talk about budget and finance and things like that, the first thing on our list is the kids. What do we need? Nope. What do mission kids need? Because that's the future. Can't tell you, I talk to so many pastors, I'm like, man, how much do you put in your children's kids' budget? Budget for the kids? What? Like, come on, man, for real? You put everything in your Sunday morning. No. Pastor, Han- Pastor Hannah has done an awesome job in discipling our kids. A lot of thought and power and, and strategy and discernment and prayer goes into that. But she needs some help, y'all. So I'm putting a plug out there. Those who have an inclination to help with children, to work with the youth, should need some volunteers. So talk to either Pastor Dustin or Pastor Hannah after the service. He was like, you know what, I'm interested in that. Now, we have a process for that, and they'll talk more with you about that. But you can see how powerful this is. Jesus is doing something powerful there. Third thing, love ops. Now, previously, you know, I don't know about y'all, but, you know, it's like sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm, I can be a bit wordy, like right now. So initially you said opportunities for mission, right? I'm like, man, that's so long. And Dustin's like, man, that's too long. I'm like, man, you don't know what you're talking about, man. Yeah, you're the marketing director for Chick-fil-A. Well, I, get, I get all that. Love ops. Operation. The different ways that we participate in the energy, in the way that God is uh, moving. Like, one of the things I love to participate in, there's two things, primary things that I, I love, like, they're on my short list of things I participate in now in the community. It's Tony Miller Cross's Peace Circle and Nightcrawlers. Now, you can have your own short list, right? But I know as a community, though, we've decided, many of us, to give the call out for Nightcrawlers. You've probably seen that. Every Thursday, Friday, we put it out there, right? That's an opportunity to go on a love op to walk the streets of this community, to meet your neighbors, to pray for the elderly, to pray for the youth, 
to listen to people's story, to point them to resources and, and, and things in the community. And lastly is this. They tell me to hurry up. Mission labs. We only have two now. One for the teens that are done at Dustin and Hannah's house. The second one is done at our house. We call it Bible Lab, but it's one of our mission labs. And what it is is, 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 is a small way that we can gather where it's small enough to care and big enough to dare, where people can come together around scripture and food and fellowship and fun, and we do all kinds of different things. But our vision is this, though. I'm going to throw it out there because we're going to have training here soon. Our vision is to have mission labs all over this county. We want to see people meeting in their neighborhoods, in social spaces, wherever that is. Where you got people in North Kannapolis, all throughout Salisbury, East Spencer, meeting in homes, coffee houses, around the word, around prayer, around fellowship, trying to conspire with God to be a blessing to their neighborhood. We see that. We want, we want to see that happen. We feel like God's calling us to that. And I'll finish with this. I want to invite you into that. <laughs> see, for us, this is what it means to follow Jesus in Salisbury, Rowan County. I want to invite you into that because here's the thing. Here's the thing that fuels us. What fuels us is God's resolve to demonstrate the kingdom of God in this community. <laughs> How many of y'all believe God is committed? Did y'all know God was committed? God has resolved to heal this community. And this is our unique way to participate in this. So I'm going to end it with this. I thank you for, for coming and listening and just listening and meditating on uh, God calling us into this story, this epic drama of salvation and liberation. But I want to give a call out. You don't have to respond today if you don't feel inclined. But really, this is a call to enter into the gospel, the good news. What is the good news? That God loves the world. Even in its brokenness. Even in its sin. And God so loved the world that he sent his son to bring life to the world. Abundant life. And when he sent his son, death and sin try to snuff him out. They try to stop life from happening. But because God has resolved to fulfill his promise to Abraham to bless the nations, nothing could stop that blessing. Nothing could stop that life, that indestructible life, Jesus. So the good news is what? You get to follow this one whose life was indestructible, indestructible by sin and death. His life was sacrificed so that you may have new life, entrance into the kingdom of God. Is there anyone here this morning that wants to enter into relationship with Jesus, that wants to participate into the kingdom of God?
anyone here that wants to join in the mission here? Many of you already have. But if this is fresh for you, come pray. I can pray with you now or we can talk with you after the service. We do have a simple process. But I'm so excited because I feel like God is offering something to our community that is beyond pablum, that is beyond warmed over middle class Christianity. But it's the opportunity to transform the world around us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God.